want to draw your attention to a, a need that I alluded to about a, a month ago. Uh, our children's ministry needs one-time subs between now and the summer, where you would, during the first hour, instead of going to your life change class, one Sunday you might be willing to serve uh, in one of our kids' classes. We need about 35 people to do that. As of this morning, we had about three who had said they'd be willing to do that. So, so did I just, am I, we're good, we're not good, we're back. If you all can't hear me, uh, just, you know, do this, and then I'll try to yell louder. But we have a great need for that, and I want to encourage you. On the way out, there's a sign-up in the lobby. If you would take one Sunday to serve and disciple our kids, huge help. Uh, Huge help. And we do need a number of people to do it. So a couple, there are perks that come with this. I showed you last week. If you teach our kids, you get art, okay? You can frame it and put it in your living room. And I found out not only do you get art, you get accessories, so I had somebody make this for me, one of our kids. So sign up. The perks are out of this world, as they say. So if you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We'll finish the Gospel of Matthew this morning. And um, I'm going to pray for you. Uh, but f- fellas, I know you're working on the sound. We still do have, I'm still in the monitors, and there is this kind of odd lag. Um, If you could kill the monitors, that would probably help me be a little more coherent. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, I ask mercy on this time. I pray that you would uh, use your word to encourage us to follow Jesus happily, to trust him, to do that which may be hard or fearful for us um, in light of his great authority and, and the fact that he is with us in it. So, May your spirit now do his good work in all of us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. There was a film recently uh, that really ratcheted up the idea of a bucket list. Um, That is a list of things that you hope to do before you kick the bucket. And there was a survey done of a thousand U.S. adults trying to figure out what was on their bucket list. So we found things like this. Um, Most of us really want to do something daring. So there are things like 34% said they would want to drive a race car. Uh, I should let you know, BMW did this survey. So 34% said they wanted to to drive a race car. 29% said they want to ride a motorcycle. 28% said they want to skydive. 23% said they want to run a marathon. 18% said they would want to bungee jump. And 95% of men with families said they wanted to sit in a lazy boy for just one entire ball game undisturbed by small children. Okay. Okay. I made up the last one, but it's probably true. I think probably 95% of men wish that would happen before they die. But uh, I imagine that most of our bucket lists, if we were to write them down, they probably not only involve things, things we want to do, they involve places where we'd hope to go. You know, things like... Uh, Places like Hawaii or Paris or Switzerland or, or Franklinton. You know, all, the, all those great <laughs> tourist destinations. Um, I have a place on, if I had a bucket list, I don't, but if, if I was to have one and I was to put down a place, 
this would be one of the places. This is where I would like to go. Does anybody know where that is? It's Pyongyang. It's the capital of, of North Korea. And at this point, I know some of you are, are thinking that I'm crazy to have that on my bucket list. And I want you to know th that the feeling is probably mutual at, at this point in time. But let me explain to you why. Uh, why this city would be, visiting this city would be on my bucket list. North Korea has been the number one persecutor of Christians on the Open Doors World Watch List for 12 years in a row. 12 years. Um, Christianity is completely repressed in North Korea. Um, some estimates are that there are as many as 50,000 North Koreans serving time in political prisoner camps where torture, execution, and starvation occur on, a, on an ongoing basis, and many of those are there simply because they profess faith in Jesus Christ. So if I had a chance to go and walk and pray on behalf of those 50,000 of my brothers and sisters in this city one day, I think that would be pretty cool. I think that would be a worthwhile thing to, to have on my bucket list. So imagine with me that I go. And I have the trip of a lifetime. And as an added bonus, they let me come back because it is North Korea. So that's a good thing. And I get back and I, uh, and I say, it was a fabulous trip. In fact, I'm going to go back again, only this time, instead of just walking and praying, I need someone to go with me and we're going to take Bibles and distribute them in Pyongyang in the capital city. Now, at this point, you need to know that, that in November of last year, a South Korean newspaper reported that 80 North Koreans were ex executed. Those put to death were found guilty by the state of minor misdemeanors, including watching videos of South Korean television programs or possessing a Bible. So I want you to come with me, and I want you to bring Bibles. You're going to be the mule that's going to carry the Bibles, lots of Bibles, how are you feeling about this trip right about now? Some of you are excited. You're the crazy ones. I worry about you. Okay? But most of us would be terrified at this prospect. But imagine if, um, if I told you that not only were we going to go back and you were going to carry Bibles to distribute out in the city, the capital city of North Korea, but that I had met on my last trip with this guy, okay? It's Kim Jong-un, the, the supreme leader. Yes, that actually is his title, the supreme leader of North Korea. And imagine that I had met with him and I got approval, I got a permission from the supreme leader so that we had full legal authority to pass out Bibles. Feeling a little better about the trip? What if I said... Not only do we have full legal authority, but the supreme leader has committed to actually go with us as we distribute the Bibles to make sure that everything went okay. That sounds a little better. It's a little better to me. The supreme leader, he not only, it's not only Dennis Rodman that he wants to come to North Korea, he wants you. And he's willing to give you full legal authority and to go with you as you distribute these Bibles. 
So, full legal authority from the supreme leader himself, and he will personally accompany you. That kind of changes the way you feel about that trip, doesn't it? A little bit? I want you to hold that thought and go back to your Bible in Matthew 28, the last five verses of the, of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, we'll finish the Gospel of Matthew today because in those five verses, we find something very eerily similar that's going on, minus the whole I made it up thing, okay? Because uh, in, in verse 16 we find that the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw Him, they worshiped Him. Okay? So Jesus has just risen from the dead, and the disciples, now 11 disciples, because Judas had been lost, because He took His life, because He sold out Jesus, right? Christ is risen. The remaining 11 disciples are doing what disciples are supposed to do. They're doing what their master told them to do. And they are going to a prearranged meeting place. Back in chapter 26, verse 32, Jesus told his disciples, After I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Last week we saw when Jesus rose from the dead, he encountered the two, the two women, and he gave them this directive in verse 10 of chapter 28. Jesus said, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So the disciples are doing the right thing this time. Okay, they're finally getting it right. They are doing what Jesus told them to do. And that requires no small bit of faith because he was killed. And is he really going to show up in Galilee? And they believe that he would enough that at least they're going to show up. And again, we find Christ, thankfully, doing what he said he would do, keeping his word. And this proposed meeting between Christ and His 11 disciples is what we're going to eavesdrop on this morning. And as we start, we find the disciples again doing the right thing. They are worshiping the risen Christ. They bow down, as we saw last week, and they worship Him. We are not supposed to worship people. And this is another one of those pointers that tells you that Jesus is no mere man, that He is very God and very man together. Everything's unfolding according to plan um, until it takes a bit of an unexpected turn. The very next phrase, it says, when, when they saw Him, they worshiped Him, but, but some doubted. But some doubted. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, really? The guy he raises from the dead. There have probably been almost 10 appearances around Jerusalem, Jesus sightings, after he was crucified, before this rendezvous in Galilee takes place. And you're going to doubt him? I mean, it just shows you how hard it can be to believe what seems like it's unbelievable to us. Now, some have rushed to the disciples' defense, and they've pointed out that where it says, but some doubted, the language there could actually mean but some hesitated. But honestly, I'm not sure that's a whole lot better, is it really? So, Jesus speaks then to His doubting, hesitant, faithless disciples, saying, you worthless, faithless, doubting disciples, I am totally done with you. Get off this mountain. I am getting some replacement disciples who actually believe me. Now, at this point, some of you are looking through your text desperately trying to find this verse. 
you'll notice that it's in the TMUV, which is the totally made-up version. This is, what, this is what we think Jesus would say, right? You know, they keep screwing up, and they keep screwing up, and he rises from the dead and meets them where they're supposed to meet, and they're like, eh, I'm not sure. Really? But this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. Um, he doesn't dismiss doubters. Instead, this is what he actually says to them, to these doubting disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He doesn't discard the doubters. Instead, he commissions them. And, and what a commission. It's not just go home, tell your neighbors, tell your family. But no, you, you struggling, doubting, hesitant disciples, you go and make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. And guess where that would include? That would include North Korea, Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, Iraq, Ukraine, Syria. These, these doubters... Jesus is sending them, and, and you should stop at this point and realize these disciples, they look like us. Okay? They're just like us. And this commission is for all disciples. Jesus is sending us, doubting, struggling disciples, to the nations, to all peoples everywhere. He doesn't discard imperfect, struggling disciples. He uses them. And I think it I think Jesus does this in part because it so protects his glory. You know, when the disciples start reaching the nations, nobody's going to say, of course, you had those guys. It's like um, some of you know, may know, and I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, Eric Spelstra. Am I getting that right? Eric Spelstra? Let's say that's how you pronounce his name. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Nobody knows him. But when they talk about the Heat and why they're winning so much, this is what people say about Eric Spelster. They say, dude, if I had LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh on my team, I could coach those guys to win. Okay? Nobody's saying that about Jesus' team. Nobody's saying that about you guys. Okay? They're not saying, gosh, if I just had them, I'd reach the nations too. No, when we reach the nations, it's Jesus who gets the glory. Because okay? he, he picks folk like us. This is our commission. He wants to use you and me. And that's all that he says. You know, that's all he wants us to do. Just reach people in every nation on earth. Okay? That's all. It is, it is this overwhelming commission. And it's, it's kind of like our opening story where I, I, I told a story where there's something really intimidating, challenging, overwhelming to you, and I sandwiched it with two great truths. Jesus does that same thing here. There are two great assurances that he trots out to help us with this overwhelming commission that he gives to you and me. He says first in verse 18, Jesus, when he first came to them, he said to them, these are the first words out of his mouth, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a really big statement. It's worth thinking about what that means. John Piper tried to help us with that. Let me rattle through what he, what he unearthed this. He says, all authority. 
He has authority over Satan and all demons, over all angels, good and evil, over the natural universe, natural objects and laws and forces, stars, galaxies, planets, meteorites, authority over all weather systems, winds, rains, lightning, thunder, hurricanes, tornadoes, monsoons, typhoons, cyclones, authority over all their effects, tidal waves, floods, fires, authority over all molecular and atomic reality, atoms, electrons, protons, neutrons, undiscovered subatomic particles, quantum physics, genetic structures, DNA, chromosomes, authority over all plants and animals, great and small, whales and redwoods, giant squid and giant oaks, all fish, all wild beasts, all invisible animals and plants, bacteria, viruses, parasites, germs, authority over all the parts and functions of the human body, every beat of the heart, every breath of the diaphragm, every electrical jump across a million synapses in our brains, authority over all nations and governments, congresses and legislatures, presidents and kings and premiers and courts, authority over all armies and weapons and bombs and terrorists, authority over all industry and business and finance and currency, authority over all entertainment and amusement and leisure and media, over all education and research and science and discovery, authority over all crime and violence, over all families and neighborhoods and over the church and over every soul and every moment of every life that's ever been or ever will be lived. Get the idea? That's a lot of authority. It is all authority. One writer said he is the CEO of the universe. And so we would say to Kim Jong-un, move over, Kim Jong-un. There's another supreme leader. We would say to Barack Obama, step aside. There is another leader of the free world. We would say to Pastor Trotter, bow down low, Pastor Trotter. There's another head of the church. And his name is Jesus Christ. He has all authority over everything, over your family, over your work. All of it is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's the one who has commissioned us to go and make disciples of all nations. That's who commissions us. The one who has authority over all nations. So I'm feeling a little better about this commission now. Okay? If, it's, if it's under his authority, I feel better about sending the Valhallas and their little flock of kids to the most atheistic nation on earth, the Czech Republic, this week. I feel better about having 10, 10 North Wake families living in China right now. Seven of our families are living in India. I got three, maybe four more living in Turkey. Got one in Ethiopia. And in all those places, the local authorities may not be happy about it. But see, they are just local authorities. The one who sends them, he is, I'm going to teach you a word, the cosmocrator. Don't tell me you didn't learn anything in church today. The cosmocrator, he is the ruler of the cosmos. That's who sends. That's who helps us, strengthens us, is with us as we make disciples of all nations. 
See, if he really does have this kind of authority, all authority, heaven and on earth, then we don't just have a mandate. We have an unstoppable mandate, an unthwartable mandate. What Revelation 7 describes will happen. It says, describing the throne room of heaven, it says, After this I looked, John writes, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's not just a hopeful future. That's not a wish for the future. That is the future because the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth has commissioned the church and sent us out to make disciples of all peoples. Every tribe and tongue will be there. The North Koreans, there will be North Koreans there. And there will be Miao people from the central China region. And there will be Digo people from the plains of uh, Kenya. There will be Kazakhs there. Every tribe and tongue. It is an unstoppable mandate because he has the authority to accomplish that which he commands. And it is, you know, it is a corporate mandate. It's not just given to individuals. It's given to us as the church. And so that doesn't mean there won't be individual setbacks. My trip to North Korea may never happen. And if it happens, it may go horribly wrong. But we know that as the church, this is an inevitable, unstoppable outcome. As Billy Graham put it, why am I an optimist? Because I've read the last book of the Bible, and we win. Okay. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ, and He has given us this mandate. Make disciples of all nations. There's another pillar, if that's not enough for this mandate. Um, Jesus says it right after what he just talked about, he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The risen Christ promises to be with us always. Dale Bruner expounds on that. He says, always mean that it's not just most days or good days or days disciples feel spiritually fit or feel they've prayed enough. But on all days, Jesus is present with them, much more faithful to them than they are to him. So should you be the one who walks the streets of North Korea with me, Christ will be with us. Should you pack your family up and fly to Africa and let your kids see the goats and pray for the people there in that sub-Saharan country, Christ will be with you. You walk across the street, you invite your neighbor over for dinner, and you share the love of Christ with them by your deeds, and if the Lord opens the door by your words, Christ is with you. <clears throat> Ask someone a question about their faith at work or school, invite them here 
to experience worship with you, Christ is with you. If you were to load up your family on a plane, and instead of going to one of those places on your bucket list, you were to go, say, to Kenya, Michael and Melissa, or maybe you'd go to Thailand with Aaron and Laurel, or maybe you'd go to Istanbul with Greg and Diana, or any one of the places where we have thir- our 36 families that are sent out from North Wake are now living and serving around the world. Christ will be with you and your kids. And they will have the experience of a lifetime. It will mark them. And Christ will be with you. Always, he says. And if we didn't get it with always, he elaborates, kind of reiterates it. He says, to the end of the age. Until the consummation of history, the end of the world as we know it. See, Jesus is not like the scribes and Pharisees. He says, he, he griped them out because, you remember, they laid heavy burdens on people and then didn't lift a finger to help them. He has laid a great commission on the church, but he's with us, okay? He's with us. He has all authority, and he's with us. He is risen He is with us every day to the end of the age. We can do this. We we will do this. Matt Woodley, in his commentary, wisely pointed out this thing. He says there are are two bookends to Matthew's gospel. At the beginning, way back in chapter 1, at the birth of Christ, you have this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And then you go all the way to the back of the Gospel of Matthew, the verse we just read. And what does it say? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He writes, Matthew's Gospel begins and ends not with a command or a threat or a philosophical pronouncement. It begins and ends with a promise. God is with us. In Christ, God is with us. He is with us today and every day until the end of the age. So Jesus has wisely surrounded our mission commands with what one writer called assurances by the mission commander. He has all authority and he's always with us. Let's return briefly to that mission command itself in verse 19 and 20. You're probably familiar with it. It's often referred to as the Great Commission. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So on the basis of His authority, protected by His promised presence, Jesus gives His disciples to all disciples... Throughout history, he gives them marching orders. He says, go therefore and make disciples. And the center of all this is making disciples. All the other things that are going on, people going, people baptizing, people teaching, they serve to kind of prop up and fulfill this idea of making disciples. A disciple is just a learner about Jesus. Um, 
probably better said, they're a follower of Jesus. When Jesus wanted someone to be his disciple, this is all he'd say to him: follow me. That's what it means to be a disciple. We are to make disciples, followers of Jesus. And in doing that, we, we simply help people learn who Jesus is and then sort out what does it mean for you to follow him. This is what I encourage um, disciples to do when they read their Bibles, to ask those two questions. What do I learn about God? In our case, what do I learn about Jesus? And what do I learn about what it means for me to follow him? Ask those two questions. Um, it's hard to do bad Bible study if you ask and answer those two questions. That's reading the Bible from a disciple's perspective. And we are to do this with all people, all nations, so it says, go, therefore, go. And sometimes people will uh, render that as you go, and the, the purpose in that is to kind of protect making disciples is the main idea here, not going. And while there's truth to that, I think this idea of going has more oomph than that. Dale Bruner says it's an integral part of the missionary command. It has the idea of get moving, okay? Go. So we go. Obviously, we send families everywhere. 36 of them have been sent out and are currently in the field. We don't just send them there and leave them. We go visit them. Our pastors regularly go to where our families are and visit them to encourage them. And you can go too. You can get passports and you can fly where they live and you can meet their friends and pray in their city and encourage them and eat great exotic food and play cards. It's okay. Baptists can play cards, right? It's okay. All right, good. Just check with one of our elders. He said it was good. And you bear the love of Christ and this church and encourage our people. It's an invaluable ministry. You'll have the adventure of a lifetime. And Christ will be with you. So we are to go. And it says we are to baptize. Baptism reveals that I'm a believer. That I am changed by my union with Christ so that I am now a follower of Christ. It's tightly connected to becoming a believer in the Scriptures. And while, while we may all not personally perform baptisms, it's, it's a commission given to the church. We do it together. That's why it's so important that we are together at our baptismal services. And while you may not perform the baptism, you can sure help provide the candidates. Okay? I, read some, I read a fascinating thing on a, a, the Desiring God website this week, a blog a guy, one of the guys there had sat down with one of the top church planting strategists in our nation. They had, uh, he said, I think five nine-hour days with this guy, just picking his brain, trying to sort out what they needed to do in terms of strategic advancement of this disciple-making command. And he says, you know, the expert said, you know what the key to evangelism in the 21st century will be, don't you? He's talking about here in our country in the United States. And his answer was one word, hospitality. 
He said that the significant thing in the advance of the, of the gospel in people's lives in the United States in the 21st century is whether or not you will have them in your home for dinner. And some of you are really good at this. You're outstanding at it. The problem is you're too busy for it. And some of you are just bold, winsome, meet folk, talk about really important things in about 30 seconds so that you could have a conversation with the, the person who... who uh, is selling you clothes at Kohl's and serving you. You could start a gospel conversation, but oftentimes you're too busy. You don't have time for that conversation. Are you too busy for the Great Commission? When was the last time you had someone who doesn't follow Christ into your home for dinner? You can do this. Christ will be with you. And your friendship, your, your words spoken, and we have a class on evangelism to help equip you how to lovingly speak to your friends about Christ in a way that's helpful to them. Um, your witness can be an important part of making disciples and leading people to the point where they're willing to be baptized. Baptism is not optional. It is a command given to us by our Lord Himself. It is a great public and sacred act of obedient worship. It is transformative in God's hands. It marks people and changes them. So getting baptized matters. And if you've not been baptized as a follower of Jesus, this is an essential part of your life mission. You should be baptized. You should call Rob Craig at the office this week and talk with him about making arrangements to be baptized at our next baptism. It's coming up soon. And it's interesting there, it says, we are baptized into the name, singular, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one name. It's one of those early, one of these early clear references to the, to the Trinity that we worship a God who is one, but three persons. We are baptized into the name of, and scholars tell us that this comes from the world of banking, and it means into the account of, or into the possession of. And baptism is this great, sacred, public declaration that we belong to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. So we are we're going and we are baptizing and we are, it says, teaching them to observe all that I, all that Jesus has commanded us. And I know some of you feel very inadequate about this. You're not a good teacher. If we just kind of did a rotation and one week I would teach and the next week you would come up here and teach, you wouldn't like that. The rest of us probably wouldn't like that either. You're not, a, you're not an upfront teacher. We shouldn't be putting you in front of a class. But if teaching is understood as helping people know who Jesus is and what it means to follow Him, you can do that 
by your example, by a, a casual conversation with somebody at work, by a one-on-one -on -one Bible study, by the way you disciple your children at home, by the times you invest in our kids here at church in our Sunday morning kids, kids program. You can teach. And your prayers are an integral part of that, praying for those of us who do teach. Um, praying for me. Praying for the new disciples who have to sit and endure my sermons. It's not easy. I know that. Praying for our missionaries who are teaching um, spiritual and theological truths in, sec in their second language and oftentimes in a third language. For instance, they have to learn Mandarin because they live in China, but they have to learn Miao because they're trying to reach the Miao people or the Kazakhs or the Yi. Oh, how they need your prayers in their teaching. You can do this. And you must do it in your homes and here with the kids in our church. We must do this. We must do it with our friends and with our neighbors. And we must go to the nations and teach them who Jesus is and what it means to follow Him, to follow His commands. And you can do this. And Jesus has promised to be with you as you do. We must all use our unique gifts to make disciples of all people, of all nations, from our neighborhoods to the nations. So, what does it mean for you since Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth, and He's risen and He's with you always, every day, to the end of the age, because He has authority and He's with you, what does it mean for you to obey this great commission of making disciples of all nations? What would the next step look like for you in the making of disciples? I'd like to just take a moment and let's pray and ask God to make clear to us what that would be for each one of us. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we want to sit before you now and let your spirit make plain what it means for us to obey this command of Jesus. to make disciples of all peoples. And Father, some of us, there are people we have overlooked, we have written off, we have refused to build relationship with or to care about or to speak of Christ to. We don't want to. We're afraid to. Perhaps, God, you are speaking to us about them. And some of us, you are calling us to go. Virginia is scary to us and you are calling us to go far. Maybe to spend a vacation or a summer 
in another culture, in another place. Maybe to spend a lifetime. God, strengthen our faith because you will be with us. Father, help us to be faithful, to go and baptize and teach and to make disciples in accordance with what your Spirit is prompting us to do this morning in response to your word. God, help us, we pray in Christ's name.